listening to Totally Pro League. This is hockey. Totally Pro League, episode 14. Oh, more than halfway through the competition now. Plenty of hockey happening. I'm John Lee, your host, and joining me on Totally Pro League this week is a commentator, hockey buff. Do I call you a hockey buff, Ashley Morrison? I don't think so. I don't think I'm buff ever. (laughs) That's a good point. That's a real good point. Ashley, welcome. No, thank you for having me on. Um... You've been following the Pro League, you've been commentating on the Pro League, you're flying all over the place doing hockey series as well. You Probably um, between you, Matt, and I, you're the one that knows what's going on in the world of hockey, so it's good to have you here. Um, no, it's good to be here. I must admit, I found it uh, the last few weeks when we had the FIH Series Finals in Malaysia, it was hard to keep track of that and the Pro League at the same time. So I think my mind got a little bit befuddled for a while. <laughs> well, look, let's get straight into it, shall we? And we'll go to the games from the weekend. We'll go through them in the order that they occurred. And that started with match number 86 on uh, the Saturday, the 18th of May, 1pm at the Lee Valley Hockey and Tennis Centre. I love that time, too. The 1 o'clock and 3 o'clock are good times for me to watch it here in Perth, especially on a Saturday night. Uh, Great Britain and Argentina, the men and women were under, were in action. The women got things underway at that one o'clock time slot. And, um, well, it was a one-all draw. I must admit, I thought the Great Britain girls were very, very good against an obviously very good Argentinian side. Yeah, I have to say, I thought they played really well. There was, there was a lot of spirit there, which I think Mm. at the beginning of the competition, I'm not saying the spirit wasn't there, but there wasn't the cohesion, and you could see that Mark Hagar is now beginning to stamp his influence, and there was a lot more cohesion, I felt, throughout the team. And they're starting to get a couple of players back. They're starting to drift in as as we get towards the pointy end of the season. Some of these players that felt they needed a bit of a break, or whatever it may be, um, slowly changing the dynamic of that team. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting whether they are going to make it into the top four. I'm not sure that they're going to do that. They've still got plenty of games left. They've got six games left, but they've got to play a lot of the European nations like the Netherlands, and and that'll be a really tough game for them. Although they seem to have, you know, like playing against the Netherlands. Well, they they seem to. I mean, of course, a one-all draw was the full-time normal time result so it went to a shootout which was won uh, by Argentina 2-1 they collected the bonus point there um, the Great Britain would be disappointed to miss the bonus point but they'd be happy that they at least picked up something from the game absolutely and, I, and I'm probably going to make myself unpopular but I thought the quality in the shootout was pretty poor uh, the goalkeepers did a good job but the strikers were for both sides were not exactly um they didn't look full of confidence, put it that way, and they, they seemed very hesitant. I think that was the word I was looking for. And when, when you look through things like some of the stats, and I know we've talked about how accurate these stats actually are, I mean, possession was 51% to 49, so there's nothing in that. 27 circle entries to 24, nothing really in that. Great Britain had 14 shots on target to 10. There's, you know, not much in those stats as well. It was but a it was a pretty game. even game. Yeah, very even, I thought. Yeah. And in fairness, the Great Britain girls unlucky to miss out. 
player that caught my eye though, and where's her name on this uh, this list? I've got to find her. She's not there. Um, the girl that played out on the wing. It'll come to me because we've got to talk to uh, talk about another Great Britain game. It'll come to me. She played right wing in that in that Argentina game. She played left wing when they backed up against Belgium. But we'll we'll get to that shortly. Because after the women were in action at 3 p.m., the men hit the training hit the ground. And um, if you look at the scoreline, 3-2, uh, you'd imagine it was a uh, a fairly entertaining and uh, uh, close attractive, affair. close affair. But I thought it was far from that. Argentina took a 3-0 lead into that final quarter. Um, maybe fell asleep a little bit. Great Britain scored two goals off penalty corners in the 56th and 58th minute. So the game was well and truly done and dusted by the time they scored those goals. Perhaps gave them a sniff and got the crowd excited, but um, too little, too late. Yeah, although you've got to give credit to Juan Vivaldi for that save right oh, yeah. at the end. I mean, it, you say the game was done and dusty. Could have so easily been 3 all, but Vivaldi turned back the clock and made an outstanding save to save the points for Argentina. He did. Uh, but, you know, to think you were, if you're 3-0 down at three-quarter time, um, you, th- you walk out of that and you think, oh, we nearly pinched it, we nearly won. I think you're kidding yourself a little bit because uh, the way I put it to you before we started recording today is uh, it's it, Great Britain appear like uh, a bucket. You go down to the hardware store, you want to buy a bucket, and you see this brilliant bucket on the shelf there. It's gold handles, it's perfectly riveted, it's made out of the finest you know, Bavarian oak or whatever it is. Brilliant bucket. You take it home. You use it for a little while and then you discover there's a leak. But you can't find where the leak is. Where is the leak in Great Britain? Their goals they conceded were terrible. Um, but they look so shiny and wonderful and brilliant. But there's something wrong there. Yeah, there, there's an expression you could use, I suppose, but I'm not going to use it. But, <laughs> but um, look, I was impressed with Argentina because I thought they were... When they were down in this part of the world and I was commentating the games there, they were looked like a sort of stuttering team. They yeah. were missing some of their big name players. They had a lot of young new faces in the side and they didn't seem to be, again, I use it, they didn't look to be gelling too well. Um, but this game, I thought they really did. They looked really, really strong. And it looked as if the blend between the young players that had come in and the older players that are still there and playing actually was suddenly to work working and they actually understood what everyone was trying to do so i actually thought argentina in that game had improved out of sight from when they were down here in australia and new zealand no payout um no i believe he still was playing with his club in germany and yeah. there's still an impasse between him and the argentinian hockey federation whether he'll come back now the german season is over that will be the interesting thing but i can't remember whether i don't know if he was actually named in their squad uh, I'd have to go back through my notes. Of course, if he was na- wasn't named in their squad and they named the full squad by now, then he cannot come in unless somebody gets a pretty serious injury that has to be confirmed by a doctor. But I'm sure that can be arranged. Yes, I'm positive it can. I mean, one thing, normally when you see a 3 0 score on an Argentinian game, you think, oh, well, you know, Payne's got, got a couple. A couple. <laughs> yeah, but they actually scored two field goals, which I think is a really good sign for Argentina. We're, if you know you've got a guy like Payette that can whack him in from the top of the D, then those field goals is where you generate the pressure 
to get those penalty corners. You know, if, you, if the team's scared of you scoring from the field, they're going to give away penalties. Yeah, there's a, there's a player that again didn't play down in this part of the world. He's come back into the team. And to me, I don't think he gets the credit that people rave about moments in games, but I don't think he gets the credit he deserves as to what a key component he is for Argentina. And that's Agustin Mazzilli. Now, yeah. to me, Mazzilli should be a contender for player of the year, um, several times because he is a very, very important cog for Argentina in their forward line. He's so creative. His close skills are outstanding and he is a vital cog to get them field goals and not just rely on, on Gonzalo Pet. When he wasn't there in the last year, if you look, they struggled to get field goals. Now he's come back, the field goals are starting to happen, and I think he's a very underrated player, but he's a very, very important player and a very, very good player for Argentina. And when you look at the stats, I mean, they all favour Great Britain, 29 to 22 in circle entries, 15 to 13 for shots on target, and 56 to 44% possession and that that is a gap that's a, you know a significant yeah, but, difference but it's the other thing where was the possession and what yeah, do you do with it that that's exactly right great britain spent a lot of time throwing it around the back three trying to wait and wait and wait and sometimes i think they should just bust forward a little bit more often um but daddy Carey, i would imagine is tearing his hair out well, i'll throw something at you here john if i may yeah. because it was a, a comment that was raised during the uh, FH Series finals, and talking to one of the coaches, and they were saying, if you look at international hockey now, we're seeing very standardised play by yep. most nations. Yep. And they threw up a theory which I thought, hmm, I'm not sure about that. But then I went away and cogitated, <laughs> and, and I thought, actually, this is not such a bad idea. And they were saying, we've seen all the rules brought in and various things. Some I don't agree with, some I think are good. But what they were saying was, should there be a time limit now if you are going to knock around the ball along your base, uh, your back line that you must carry it over the halfway line? Oh. So, so like a, a clock like you have in basketball. It was just to look at it. It was something that was thrown up there and it's something for your listeners to just have a chat about yeah. at the bar when they're next having a beer. That's an interesting thought. Um We'll have to ponder that one. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. Up. When yeah. you hear it, you, uh, my immediate reaction was, no, I don't like that. But then you go... Hmm, maybe. <laughs> I'm not saying definitely. Uh, uh, it'd be interesting to see what it did to the dynamic of the game. I, I often think that when you see teams doing that too much, they're setting themselves up to be scored against. Yeah, I mean, the thing I like about it is, okay, if you're winning a game, it means you can't do that and just delay play and just kill the clock, which is one of the most boring things right. in any sport when teams do that. So it, it would put the pressure on you then still having to carry the ball forward. Of course, you could push it into the half, it can come back again, but, you know, it, look, it's just something I think that's, that's a good discussion point. Now, for our next match, we're going across the Atlantic to Spooky Nuke, the best-named hockey venue in the world. I reckon that's a great name. It's the United States taking on China, and this is a game I was really interested to see. Um, uh, I had to watch the replay because American games are on such a horrible time. But um, I, I, ooh, 3-1 victory to uh, the United States over China. I actually thought it would go the other way. I so did I, yeah, I'll be honest. A lot of people thought that China would be too good for them. Fantastic performance from the Americans in what was an entertaining game, if not 
you know, you know well, it wasn't the, the Australians playing the Dutch as far as skills and all those sorts of things go, but it was a very entertaining game of, of hockey. Um, I think the Chinese set up as though they were playing the Netherlands and they forgot they were playing the US and it was only in the last, say, quarter where they went, oh, hang on, we should be attacking here and going after this game a little bit more than they did in the early stages. By then it was too late. The US had three goals on the board and um, game done and dusted. Yeah, I mean, I would say China, to me, they just didn't look hungry enough yeah. in, in the game. They, they were just, it was like a training game for, for periods of it, instead of that hunger and that determination that we, I saw when I did the Champions Trophy last year. They played superbly there. And, and you just thought, if they had played like that in that game, they would have come away with the chocolates easily, yeah. you know? Uh, one thing that I've, a word I've used to describe both of these teams previously is naive. There's a bit of hockey naivety about them. And there's a, there's a, a moment about nine minutes before the end of the game. Um, and a, a, an American and a Chinese girl are both next to each other effectively. Um, and the ball is rolled towards an American, is a, an American defender. So, as those two players have run towards the American defender that that ball's rolled to, the American player was on the right shoulder of the Chinese girl, and she's running. The Chinese girl's running in direct line at the ball. The American player ran across her line to get to a position where she could, you know, help out. Now, this is where the naivety comes in. Two points. Number one to the American girl: don't run across the line between the player and the ball because you, that's the third man obstruction. And she, that, that's their naivety. The Chinese naivety was, wasn't pressuring that to get the free hit for the third man obstruction. Now, it, it, me in my position, if I saw that, I'd be, I'd be making the effort to make it look like I was trying to get to the yeah, ball. Or just you'd run to into them free. and fall over. Absolutely. And that's the sort of naivety I'm talking about with those two teams that they, you know, maybe it's because they haven't grown up in the hockey culture and had players who come up and say to them after the game, hey, mate, you know what you should have done there? You could have got a free hit there. And now, not every time, not every umpire would have blown that one. It was a marginal third man obstruction. But the player, A, didn't make any effort to try and force that and get that free hit. And the American player, the coach should have sat her down after the game with that vision and said, never do that again because you do that to the Dutch and the Dutch girls will get the free hit. They will push, they will run straight through you to get that free hit. Absolutely, no, I agree. Uh, anyway, um, the other thing I wanted to say was the American goals, especially the last short corner goal, how good was it to see a, a short corner striker just take the ball and smash it <laughs> and and you know, get it, get a goal off a, off an old-fashioned penalty corner. It was just beautiful. I loved it. Um, yeah, glad that the United States finally got a win up. A bit disappointed China could. I mean, China could have been almost in the running for a, a, a finals berth if they had to run all the rest of their games. But that that game's just killed it, and uh, they're not going anywhere much further than they are at the moment in the pro league. The Chinese stats were a little bit interesting. China had 41 circle entries to 19 and 20 shots on goal to eight. Normally, when China's had get 20 shots on target. They're scoring two or three goals because they've yeah. got a very. Well, that's good what I mean with the yeah. hunger. They just didn't when they got in the, the the circle. They just seemed to be just taking too long or too hesitant, and there was just not that hunger to put the game to bed. 
Now, we're moving on to the Sunday games, Ashley. Games 89 and 90. Great Britain at home once again at the Lee Valley Hockey and Tennis Centre. This time, the men and women taking on Belgium. And once again, it was the ladies getting things underway at 1pm. And I'm sure a lot of the hockey world was looking forward to these games, to seeing where both of these sides lie and, and on the men's and women's sides of the games. Um, probably a bit of a surprise, I would say, in the women's game. Belgium uh, losing 2-0 to Great Britain there. Very much a, a de- both sides very developing, very much developing sides. Um, and Belgium's form leading into this game had been terrific. Oh, where's my table? It's just in front of me here somewhere. Um, they'd only played the six games and for four wins. Yeah. So that they had a lot of form going their way. Um, fantastic game, though. I really enjoyed that particular match. It was Ashling de Herger had a fantastic game again in goal oh, for Belgium. Yeah. She made some truly world-class saves. That could have been four or five. It could have been. And, I mean, so credit to... It was only 2-0, but I, I thought Great Britain deserved that victory in the end because... It was the Belgians who seemed to me certainly to be defending a little bit more. Joe Hunter, she's a player. She she's just your uh, I would say she's a, a one position player. She's a winger. She's a natural natural. Mrs. Pinner, hey. Mrs. Pinner, she's George Pinner's she? wife. Oh, hello, Mrs. Pinner. She is a natural winger, though. I would I would suggest. And you know how some people are just that's where they should play because that's what they're really good at and. I thought she was brilliant on the right when I saw her play there. She's a very good player. That's my pick of the ones that we don't know much about. Um, yeah. well, Mark Hager got his first home win as well, so that was a good thing for them, especially because they've got some more home games coming up, Great Britain, so that'll hopefully pull in the crowd. You need to see your home teams winning in these competitions because that's crucial. And Great Britain did dominate the game. 32 circle entries to 19, 16 shots to 9, 55 to 45%. Possession, they you know, they deserved the win. It wasn't a game that could have gone either way. I didn't think. No, oh, look, I don't think there was any doubt that they deserved the win. In my opinion. Then uh, the next game, and I must admit, this was the most disappointing game of the weekend for me personally. It was Great Britain versus Belgium on the men's side of things, getting underway at 3 p.m. And it was a 4-0 victory to the Belgians. In the end, they led 1-0 at uh, quarter time, and then. A, Again at half time, slotted two in the third quarter, and then uh, rounded it out with another goal in the final quarter. And this is the game that really got me thinking about the the bucket theory because they do leak. Great, the men's side just leaks. They can play really attractive attacking hockey and then give away really simple, you know, frustrating goals. Yeah, I mean Bel- Belgium looked like the world number one in this game. I they thought. did. They did. Um, and you know what I like about Belgium at the moment? And I know some people won't like it because they will say there's an arrogance about them. But I, I actually don't think it is necessarily an arrogance, but there's an enjoyment. They they like the Dutch women when they play. They go out and they look like they're enjoying it. And there's to me, there is nothing better than a top team in any sport enjoying what they do. You know what? I mean, they've got some stars in that team. There's John John Doman and, you know, you've got Thomas Brills and... Some very, very good players, but the thing that makes them so good is the guys that we don't know about. They're, they're the ones that make that team. Uh, yeah, I think, again, with them, I've always felt Florent Van Aubel doesn't get the credit he deserves. Yeah. You know, Briels gets the headlines, John John Doman, but, uh, but to me, Van Aubel is a class player. But then they, they've got some 
really good good players I mean Vegnay I think is outstanding player yeah. and, and going to be a superstar and uh, I don't know what they're putting in the water in Belgium at the moment but there's something going on there because they're cr- just creating great hockey players well the incredible thing was when I was doing the Sultan Aslan Shah Cup you know, I went back through the, some of the Olympic Games and you looked at when Poland and I can't remember off the top of my head when they were last at the Olympic Games and they spanked Belgium yeah. Poland absolutely spanked them something like uh, 6 or 7 one in the Olympic Games the last time they met Belgium and you look at where Belgium has now gone on to become you know the world number one world champions and you just sort of think wow you know it shows that if you put the right program and the right investment in place in youth which is definitely what they've done uh, it pays immense dividends down the track You're with Totally Pro League and we're with Ashley Morrison today. He's our special co-host. Time now to have a check at the goal scorers and the tables, Ashley. Let's start with the women. 163 goals scored, 3.4 goals a game. It's uh, dripping a l- dipping a little bit, that uh, goals per game. Uh, 91 goals from the field at 55%. For the men, they've scored 176 goals in 33 games, 5.3 a game. It's just slowly slipping down. The longer the competition goes, it's just a couple of percentage points every now, you know, every week. But uh, 123 goals at you know, 69.8%, so 70% of the goals in the men's competition coming from the uh, the field. For the women, the top goal scorer, guess who's still at the top? Olivia Mary. Olivia Mary. She's got five field goals, two penalty corners and a stroke for eight goals. Uh, Savannah Fitzpatrick's still in second place from Australia. She's going to get a, a good opportunity to increase her tally of six goals, all from the field, it must be said. And um, Frederick Matler from the Netherlands comes in in third place with five goals, three, one and one, three from the field and a stroke and a corner. And they're an outright top three goal scorers for the women. Yeah, it's a bit closer in the men. It is indeed. Pau Kamada's still out there on top. He scored eight goals, seven from the field and a penalty corner. Uh, then we get uh, Maso Casella from Argentina. Marco, is it? Maiko. Maiko. I'm glad we've got the... Because <laughs> you, you know what my pronunciation's <laughs> like. Uh, he scored six goals, two, two and two. Uh, and uh, Phil Roper from Great Britain has also scored six goals. He scored five from the field in a penalty corner. And Sam Ward from Great Britain has scored six goals, uh, two from the field and four four, four short corners. Um, two blokes in the top four with a total of uh, 12 goals between them. You think they might be a bit higher up the table. Uh, that's your top, well, it's a top four. I think the interesting thing, though, looking at that, John, is like New Zealand and Olivia Mary's side, they've played 11 games and she's got eight goals. And if you look at Spain in the men's where Pau Camada's got eight, they've yeah. played 10 games. So that shows the real consistency between both the sexes in terms of the goals per games. And yeah. I, I think that's really good to see as well because often the women's game gets criticised that they don't get as many goals, but it's proving there to be on par with the men. Now let's get to the tables because finally we're getting to a stage where you can actually make something of what's going on from the tables and the, the percentage is slowly going to drop out of the equation as, as the points as teams get closer together on the number of games played. Let's start with the women, Ashley. Out there on top of the Netherlands, they've played eight. They're on 21 points and their percentage at the moment, 87.5. Argentina have moved into second place. Aren't they on 24 points, I thought they were? 
Uh, I got 21 points here okay. for the Netherlands, unless, oh, you're, <laughs> oh, yeah. we've got no, two different sources. We have, yeah. we? You're right, it is, sorry, I read it wrong actually, it is okay. 21. Um, yeah, Argentina, they've played 13 games for their 32 points at 82%. I would say no one's gonna catch them to knock them out of the top four with that 32 points. I think Argentina are home for the finals. In third place, Australia, they're, they've played 11 games, they've picked up 21 points, they're sitting on 63.6%. I'd say they are the most vulnerable team in the top four at the moment, with Belgium rounding out that top four. As you mentioned earlier, haven't played that many games, just the seven games, but have picked up four wins, have 13 points, and they're going at 61.9% now. Then outside the top four, it's Germany in fifth place. They've only played the eight games. They have 14 points. Great Britain, 10 games for 11 points, and I think they're probably cooked, Great Britain, on the women's side of things. Uh, They do have some games in hand, so maybe they can... Uh, be forcing a team like Australia out of that top four. But then we have New Zealand, China and the United States. They're definitely cooked. Um, they won't be taking part in the finals. So you've essentially got three that are probably going to make it and three that could make it if everything goes right for them. Yeah, I think one of the things that if I was, you know, the FIH I'd be looking at for maybe next year or future years with this is it it looks if you look at the world cup you could get now i'm not saying that you're going to get but you could get the way it pans out so australia only have five games left argentina have three games left but the team in fourth belgium have nine games germany in fifth have eight games and great britain have six games so if you think about it those teams could really almost towards the end of that collude to get the european teams in ahead of those Australia, Belgium or whatever but and it just worries me a bit I think towards the end of the tournament there needs to be some sort of fixturing where you've got the teams pretty much playing around the same time otherwise you could see a team you could see a team playing for a draw knowing that a draw is enough to knock another team out well, the good thing as far as Australia is concerned is they've got points on the board. They're on 21 Yeah, which points. is always the best in any competition. Get the wins, get the points, and then they've got to overhaul you. And, you know, while I can see Belgium, with so many games remaining, finishing top four, I think Germany, they're on, uh, how many points have we got there at the moment? 14 points for Germany. So they could pressure Australia, but they've got to keep winning. That They're the team that has to keep winning, not necessarily Australia. They pick up a couple of draws here and there. It might just be enough for them to scrape in. Yeah, and I, th- I think Germany will get stronger because I believe they did leave some players behind when they went overseas mm. uh, because of work commitments with those players. So I think you will see that they will become stronger as the tournament reaches its end. And the Dutch at the top, they've only played eight games, so that means they've got, what, another eight to go? Yeah, eight to go. And they're all played within a a 20-day window in June, all of those games. And that's where I think credit should be given to Alison Annan. I mean, I'm sure other coaches would wish that they had the talent pool that she has available. But if you look initially, she was putting out three pretty different squads for various games. and. And I think that's she would have looked at the fixturing and gone, we've got a lot of games in a short period of time at the end of this competition, and we need to make sure that we've got cover for all of those games if we're going to maintain our high standards. And I think that's going to be really interesting to see whether that preparation she's given those players in the early stages of this competition 
pay dividends in the latter stages. And Australia played Netherlands in the last weekend, and then there's a three-day break before the women's semi-finals. So um, I'm sure that's factored into the back of her head as well. Let's look at the men now. I think things are a little bit more interesting in the men's table. Uh, Belgium are at the top at the moment. They've played six games, only six games, but they're sitting at 83%. So that's 15 points from their six games. Australia are in second position now. They've played nine games, but they've managed to pick up 22 points uh, and travelling at 81%. The Netherlands in third, they've only played seven games on 12 points at 57%. Then come Great Britain, who have eight games played and uh, are 13 points at 54%. Argentina in fifth place. They played the 10 games for 16 points, 53%. Germany, surprisingly, from their seven games, have only picked up eight points at 38%. Then we get to Spain, the perennial drawers, uh, 10 games for 10 points. And that says you draw every game that you play, essentially. It's not the way it works out, but that's how it averages. 33%. And New Zealand, sadly for the New Zealanders, languishing at the bottom for just two points from their nine games at 7.4%. Uh, of course, not as many games played as the uh, women because of the withdrawal of Pakistan. But it's it's far more even in, in the amount of games played than the women's side of things. And um, there's plenty of wriggle room for just about every team there. I can see Germany making the finals if things go right for them. Yeah, again, it's interesting if you look at that because obviously the league ladder is decided on percentages. If you did it as traditionally we do on points, Australia at this point would be sitting on top having played one more game with Belgium, but it would in fact be Argentina sitting in second spot with then Belgium in third spot as opposed to sitting top. Argentina currently on the percentages sitting in fifth place. So. I'm just wondering whether the percentages are actually going to affect the standings in terms of the end of the competition. Um, so again, we're going to see a, diff- a shift because normally it's done on the points you attain from wins and draws and obviously in this competition, bonus points from winning the shootouts. Um, will Are we going to see that actually have a bearing on, certainly around that fourth and fifth spot, it could have a massive impact. What's interesting about the percentage and everybody's discussions about percentage is that percentage doesn't matter if you keep winning. And that goes for all sports competitions everywhere. Winning removes all doubt. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you look, Australia, though, hasn't lost a game. All they did was they drew one and they lost the shootout. But yeah. their percentage, 81.5 at the moment. So, But it does have a, a bit of a bearing when you think they haven't lost a game. Um, yeah. Yet they're not top of the table. Um, you know, Belgium have. Did they lose one? No, they. They've had a shootout loss. Yeah, they had a shootout loss against Spain. Yeah. yeah everybody loses game. to Spain in the shootout. <laughs> but but I think again the other thing that's interesting is if you look, Argentina only have four games left. Australia only have five games left. Uh, Spain four games and New Zealand five. And then the Europeans they all still have plenty of games. That Belgium have eight. Oh, yeah. Netherlands have seven. Uh, Great Britain have six and Germany have seven. So they've got plenty of time to pick up some points. And you know what's uh, disappeared in this conversation or, or been missed, I think, is uh, goals, for and against, because that's one of the determiners. It'll, it goes points. No, it goes percentage. At the end. Now, once they've played all the, all the games, ah, per- yeah, but percentage won't matter. Yeah, but it is percentage first, but then per- points. No, 
isn't it? No. It, it will be on, on points. And you think about it, percentage won't matter. It'll, it will be on points because when everybody's played the same amount of games, it, it'll come back to points, not percentage. I'll double check my notes back yeah. at home when I, I get home. I think you should. But, yeah. But the, the, one of the qualifiers is goal difference. And no one's been mentioning goal difference whatsoever. I mean, you look at the, the women's side of things. Netherlands have a plus 20 goal difference from eight games. <laughs> Um, and that's where the top three in the women's though are in really strong position because is. Argentina plus 15, Australia plus 10. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, Australia, when they, they've struggled, they've not conceded a lot of goals. It's been a one-goal margin usually. Yeah. So they're in good. But the men, yeah, again, you've got Belgium out in front plus 13, don't you? And then Australia plus 9. And then it's just only two other teams with in the plus side of things. What's surprising is the men have scored... Far more goals in fewer games, and yet it's tighter on the goal differences there than it is in the women's side of things. Yeah. That's, uh, I don't know if it means anything, it's just what it is. <laughs> You're listening to Totally Pro League. We're talking all things Pro League with Ashley Morrison today. And, uh, Ashley, you've been keeping a close eye on it. Obviously, you're commentating it as well. Um, your thoughts on the Pro League, is there, is there something that struck you about the Pro League that you think, I've got to say something about this? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I, I get in trouble usually when I say things, John, you, you know that, um, whether I use the pen or I use my mouth. But, um, personally, yeah, look, I, th- I think that the, the biggest thing I would like to say is I think the the product on the pitch being outstanding, I really do. I think it's been really, really good. We have to, I think, I'm going to say something everybody's been saying, there has to be sponsorship to pay the players. That's an obvious thing. But the thing that I think needs it needs more than ever is marketing. Like the league itself has not been marketed to the standard it needed to be. And that has been disappointing in my opinion. I mean, if, if you look in Australia, and we'll use that as an example. So what happened was we had the games here and the national body expected the state bodies who were hosting the games to do the marketing. And they had to run the event and they don't have the money to do that. Now, to me, there has to be almost like a sort of Venn diagram type effect you need to have the FIH, whose tournament it is, need to be doing global marketing to promote the competition. And that's not just relying on the TV stations to do the promotion of the games. It needs needs to be bigger than that. They need, yeah, it's not just Facebook, it's not just Twitter. It is a proper, structured, well-thought-out marketing campaign that drives people through the gate. Now, in conjunction with that, there needs to be marketing allocated by the national federation as well that is linked into the FIHs and so that that when they're in Australia or when you're in Belgium or you're in New Zealand you the national body in conjunction with the FIH is driving people to the games not just on television but more importantly through the turnstiles so that they're coming to watch the game and to me that's that's the biggest disappointment is the lack of marketing I will say however that Great Britain hockey's marketing has been, I think, outstanding. And they must have invested because when you go on the FIH page, or when I do, I don't know if it's the same for you, I always get pop-ups coming up to buy tickets at Lee Valley or to watch Great Britain play hockey. 
Now, they've done a damn good job. If I'm in Australia, I go on the governing bodies website and the pop-up I get is for to buy tickets in Great Britain. Yeah, that's interesting, that is. And I think one of the things that's probably hamstrung marketing efforts to a certain degree is the fixturing. I think the fixturing needs a major overhaul. Say, as we're using Australia as a case, you can't have your two teams playing all of their home games in the first month and a half of the tournament, then sit around for a month and a half, and then go to Europe and play totally out of yeah, but, but you, you're absolutely you know? right because all that momentum that was yeah, picked gone. up in, in the in the first six weeks has gone in Australia. Yeah. And even people I speak to are going, what's going on? And I'll be honest, I find it very hard to keep track of when games are. Like, you don't get any reminders. No. You don't. I, I'm on the FIH mailing list. You don't get even a thing saying, uh, coming up this weekend, fixtures in the Pro League are bang, bang, bang. There's nothing... And so it's very hard unless you actually go looking or you're abreast of it, you don't know. There is, a, I believe, an FIH calendar app or Pro League app. Yeah, my generation, I hate apps. Well, the other, the other <laughs> side of it is why should I have to download another app for, on my phone to have another thing on there? Why can't you just say, this is coming up and do it? It's almost, it's almost as if they're washing their hands of it. Oh, well, we've got this app. There we go. They can figure it out for themselves now. It's, that's not how it works. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, because you co-present not the footy show with me, we had that Sam Goodwin on yeah. who, um, forget the company he works off, to talk exactly about sports marketing. And as he said, you have to be across so many things these days. And if you do not have the staff or the, or the manpower to do it, then you need to invest in getting experts in to guide you as to how to do it. Now, I don't think anybody would complain if the FIH did that, if if it worked, if they spent the money well and every box was ticked. <laughs> Sorry, mate. <laughs> I just, that's a very funny line, that. <laughs> a very funny line. <laughs> Considering the experts who've got running around getting sponsorship at the moment, <laughs> what, what do we really expect? One of the things I would like to see is the FIH take more ownership of the tournament. And, and to um, standardise the match day experience. It sh- you go to any pro league game, it should be the same match day experience. It is supposed to be. Yeah, it shouldn't be, oh, well, that association's doing this and this association's doing that. The FIH, you've got to stand up and say, no, this is our tournament. You, this is what will happen after the game, like the Dutch. Let the kiddies come out and play on the field. Yep. Or whatever it is, it's got to be standardised and it's got to be across the board. Well, I would add to that, and, and obviously because it's a field that I'm in, the TV needs to be standardised because the, the the American coverage at the moment, the the lighting is oh, appalling, the the distance that the cameras are away from the pitch, again, it, it's it's not good, and it it's not conducive to good viewing. I think that's more to do with the 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 lack of knowledge of the game from. The camera people and stuff who, and but, but there's no excuse, John. The game well enough to go but John, I'm sorry, there's no excuse. The teams no, were announced true. 18 months before the start of the competition. Yeah, there was time to be for for the FIH to send people over there and make sure that these guys were up to speed. What you do is, if they're not up to speed, then you ho- have the America host tournaments where you can get the cameraman in there to try it, to make it, and and they can do test tournaments to make sure. Yeah. That they are up to speed and they know how. I'm sorry, I, I don't carry well, you those can, excuses. You can do that training on on just 
games. You don't need Absolutely. an international game. Just get and it. It doesn't there. have to be broadcast, although obviously yeah. there is the cost to set it all up. But so you may as well do it. Um, I, I, one thing you asked me again that I would like to see, and I, I advocated this long before the actual competition started, is at the finals, I would like to see organised an open forum. Oh, yeah. So what I would like to see is the executive board of the FIH are all going to be there. They're having a meeting at the finals of the Pro League. So why can't there be a forum held where the coaches, players, media and any fans who want to come and offer their input to how this competition could be improved, things they would like to see within it or whatever. And I think the only way we're going to get that right is by having a session such as that where you've got people that are invested in various areas of the game be it national associations coaching staff, playing staff everything, if you get everybody's opinions and you put them in a pot and then you can go away and you can go actually that was a really good point we got that wrong and I mean sometimes you have to admit as a sports administrator and in every walk of life even you know we all make mistakes or we make a decision that was maybe not in the best interests of our company, of our business, of ourselves. And sometimes you have to put your hand up and say, actually, I've got that one wrong. Next time we'll do this. You're listening to Totally Pro League, where we talk all about the Pro League. And today I'm talking to Ashley Morrison, and that's a very good idea. The, the forum. Forum, yeah, I think um, the FIH should definitely look at doing something like that. You know, it's, it's amazing some of the great ideas that will come from places like that that you never realise. Absolutely. I mean, that, that you know, there are people that will come in there and they will have sat through and no doubt watched in their home. They may be the most humble, quiet person, but they will put their hand up and say, have you ever thought of this? Yeah. And suddenly the whole room will go, wow, why did we never think of that? And I just think, unless you throw the doors open yeah. to everybody that is involved in the game, that is passionate about the game, that's the only way you're going to carry this forward and get it to achieve what you want it to achieve. And look, you know, sports administrators live within their um, their little cocoons. Cocoons not the right idea, but uh, right word. But sometimes you need that person from outside the box to say something because you're in the box and you can't see that going on. It's not that you're doing something wrong or whatever yeah, it is you're too close to the issue that can very often be the case let's have a look at the games coming up though um, pretty quiet in the next couple of weeks in Pro League um, what month are we in now we're in the posing for portrait 1967 of the Beatles official FIH Pro League calendar uh, and games underway well for us here we're recording on a Wednesday so these games are going to be going on on a Wednesday tonight for us today for you there in Europe and it's Germany taking on Argentina both the men and women now that game's getting on at 6.30pm local time for the women and at 8.30pm for the men so that's an after midnight jobby for us tonight mate that'll um, be a big game in the men's tournament it's a huge game isn't it that that decides fates almost that particular game because it's, it's going to be a very very important game it's going to be hard for if one of those if they who knows whether it's a draw but the, if a team loses that game, you're probably gone. You're probably going to have to not be able to pick up enough points to get those finals. And then, um, believe it or not, 
China are back home on Saturday against Belgium, 4pm local time there for the Chinese. I'll be playing at that time, unfortunately. So just the three games across the, 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 uh, the Pro League this weekend. Next weekend, next week, there's uh, Belgium taking on Great Britain on the 30th. That's a Thursday. Uh, and then we get to June. 40 games in 23 days. It is going to be an absolute feast of hockey. It's going to drive my missus mad. I think I'm going to get divorced at the end of June somehow or other. It's got that feeling about it. But, you know, once again, we're coming back to this idea of a home and away league and a home and away round, etc. Um, when you have gaps like this and then everything's squashed in, it just takes away from that home and away feeling. Well, I think when it was promoted, we were told there were going to be games every, every weekend, weekend for six months. And that obviously hasn't happened, uh, which makes it really difficult to follow it. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's, I think, something that has to come up. Then there, of course, is the issue that you have to look at, and to me this is essential, is not to affect those leagues so that the top players are not playing. So we almost need to have international windows where the Belgium teams are playing as they have in soccer or football as it's known in Europe. You know, I, th- I think that is now, if we're going to go down this path as a hockey sport, yeah. we have to have international windows where clubs don't have fixtures and players are released to play international games. That is the only way it's going to work. I, I think you're right. And I mean, when it was sold to us as a home and away league, I was thinking, oh great, so Australia will be playing this weekend and then they'll be playing that weekend and be like a, a, a football tournament where you've got yeah. across the weekend every team playing and maybe it's it's restricted by the cost of travel um, travel's an interesting discussion I'm hoping to get some players on to talk about the effects of travel and exactly if they exist or not um, but I think next year the sad thing is Nobody really knows how next year is going to work at the moment. No so, idea how this year is going to work. Half of the teams are playing away against some nations and then they'll play at home against the other nations. But we don't know how the league table is. And I actually contacted the FIH and they said that they will make a decision at the end of this season as to how the tournament is going to work. Now, if you've made a decision that you know, Australia's playing half their games away and half their games at home and there will be two games against each nation there, Surely you've worked out how the league is going to be structured. I find that incredible that you make a decision like that, but you haven't worked out how the league will be structured. Now, Great Britain Hockey put out a tweet that there would be no finals in 2020. I've since been told that they were told to bring that down because that hasn't been decided. But this is where, sorry, but you don't make a statement about something like that unless you've got the whole tournament sorted out and how it's going to work. It's typical of the FIH, though to make an announcement about what they're going to do without having figured out the details of it. We've seen this constantly in the last few years. It's, it's nothing new that they would announce something that they haven't figured out how they're going to run. But, but I'll, I'll give you again, and I'm not going to say who raised this again at the FIH Series Finals, that Wales were playing in Malaysia, and one of the coaches from one of the other teams, they go, look, I understand that Wales and Scotland obviously need to be improving, they need to be playing international hockey, but they go, hang on a sec, these tournaments are precursors to the Olympic qualifier. If it is, if England or if, sorry, if Great Britain are playing in the FIH Pro League, then Wales and Scotland should not be playing in these tournaments because they cannot go to the Olympics and they, and also the fact that there are Welsh players and there are Scottish players 
currently playing for Great Britain in the FIH Pro League. So they said, you can't have it both ways. No. And I must admit it was something I hadn't actually thought about until it was raised. And then you think about that and you go, well, actually, they've got a very valid point. You know, if you're going to play as Great Britain, then you have Welsh and Scottish players playing for Great Britain. Then is there a place in the... Well, it doesn't matter because the FIH series is going to be no more. But I think that is, again, an area where you're going to see a lot more pushback from those lower nations if those two countries are part of it again and the United Kingdom are playing as Great Britain in the Pro League. Let's face it, that's an anomaly thrust on the sport by the Olympics. It's not hockey's doing that that's the case. Uh, it's not, no. And, it, you know, it's a, as far as I'm concerned, it's another reason to totally reevaluate our the sport's relationship with the Olympic movement. You know, totally reevaluate it. It won't happen, but... Yeah, look, uh, that's a whole other argument where the Olympics are going. I mean, yeah. if you talk to people, the interest in them is certainly dropping off. The TV stations uh, are losing interest as well because they're saying the amount of money they're being expected to pay for just a two-week window is now become not viable, and it's not worth it. And, you know, the cost of hosting them is extremely prohibitive. I mean, it's, it's no surprise that... In recent years, some of the cities that have decided to take on the Olympics have probably had uh, oh, some motivations that are outside of sport. I mean, look at the Winter Olympics with Russia. That's obviously a, a, just a PR exercise. And we're seeing the Olympic movement being he- held hostage to these sorts of PR exercises. Yeah, anyway, no, that's another subject. It is indeed. I don't think it's relevant for here. It's Look. your show anyway. <laughs> you can talk about what you want. Look, Ashley, thank you very much for joining us today on Totally Pro League. Uh, maybe we'll try and get you on again before the finals. I know you're going to be over there in, in uh, for the finals. Not doing any commentary, but you'll be there. No, I will indeed. Looking forward to it. I think it'll be just good. Having been involved at the beginning of the competition, I want to be there at the end. Yeah, well, it's great to have you in and uh, hear your insights on what's going on, and um, we'll speak to you again soon. And don't forget, folks, not the footy show. There'll be a new one out this week, yeah? Thanks very much. Yes, there will.